Powell Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's wide range of beautiful wood designs can be painted, stained, or unfinished to complement any decor. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Visit PowellWI.com. Expires 9-30-2022. Certain restrictions apply to showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right, maybe this makes me a bad person. Maybe it makes me a bad person, but my reaction is what my reaction is. Leslie Bost. Leslie Bost is the gunman who, what, about a week or so ago, maybe two weeks ago, went over to the porch of his elderly neighbors and his sister, who were talking on a porch next door to his house on West Clark Street, North 22nd Street, um, and he pulled out a gun and started shooting out of nowhere. One woman died. Um, and two other people were actually three other people were were injured as the guy just opened fire on these people who were sitting on the porch after he shot these four people. What he did is he went home and he set his home on fire and then went on the lamb. He has been, of course, the subject of of a manhunt. Over the course of the last, you know, since this incident happened, the last you know, week and a half or, or so. Well, apparently the word is out that they, they found him yesterday. And as the police were closing in, rather than be taken alive, he ended up killing himself. Self-inflicted gunshot wound before he could, in fact, be arrested. So the, the DA's office has notified the, the parents, uh, and the, actually the family. So 82-year-old Shirley Mallory, who was murdered by this guy, his her son gets a call saying, oh, we, we found him, he ends up being dead. So I, I'm reading the this, this story. He had been charged with various you know, offenses in connection with this, and, and now the case is over. Now, I guess there's a lot of different reactions that you could have, but the news is that, that he's dead. Well, first of all, I've always thought that I wish when people consider doing these murder-suicide sort of things, if that's the route they choose to go, you you wish they would do the suicide first. Just, you know, let's not kill innocent people. Secondly, and maybe this makes me a kind of bad person, but I'm willing to live with this. When I get the story that somebody who murdered an 82-year-old woman in cold blood and tried to kill three other people, that they found him and he's decided to take his own life, you know what my response is? No sympathy. Uh, we, we've now saved the taxpayers uh, a lot of time and effort and money in connection with trying him and putting him in prison for the rest of his life. Um, I, it's unfortunate this entire thing happened, but, you know, he decides to kill himself. Well, I'm not going to be too sympathetic. My sympathies in this case extend to the 82-year-old woman who was murdered, the three other people who were on that porch who were shot, and, of course, the surviving family members of the 82-year-old woman. So no no crocodile tears for the passing of this murderer. All right, let us get started. The Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, which is a conservative law firm that takes up public interest matters, they're, they're the one law firm in the state 
that actually acts as a counterbalance to a lot of the insanity that you see being perpetuated by government agencies that just goes on and on, and there's, there's nobody that has the resources to challenge it. Well, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, Will, is back in the news. They have just filed a lawsuit in federal court in the Western District of Wisconsin, which is essentially the western two-thirds of the state, against the Eau Claire Area School District. Here's what they are suing for. The Eau Claire Area School District has a policy called the Support Student the Student Gender Support plan. All right, here here's the way it is described and it's pretty clear that this is how it operates. All right, schools and teachers are allowed to and in some cases required to meet with students. And and the policy extends as young as kindergarten, all right? And as part of the policy, they are allowed to inquire into the child's health the child's physical well-being, and the child's gender preferences. If a child says, okay, I'm, I'm John, but I want to be treated as Joan, the school then has the right to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. John, you are no longer John, you are Joan. And we're going to change all our records, and we're going to refer to you as, as Joan. So we are going to honor your request, eight-year-old John, that you wanted to be Joan. And we're going to change all your records, and we will refer to you as Joan. In addition, we're going to change all the pronouns. So if you, John, who wants to be Joan, identifies as a she, we're going to, we're going to call you <clears throat> she, and, and we're going to refer that. In addition, on field trips... We are going to make arrangements so that if you're uncomfortable, John, being with the boys, what we're going to do is we're going to house you with the girls on on these different field trips that you take. And it kind of goes on and on and on and on like that. So they're, they're going to do this student gender support plan. They're going to record the new name, the pronouns for the gender of the child. They're going to then... Um, in, in th- facilities and stuff, John, if you no longer feel comfortable using the boys' bathroom, that's okay. We're going to make arrangements to allow you to use the girls' bathroom or the girls' locker room, etc., etc. Here's where it gets interesting. As part of the policy, the school specifically will not advise the parents of what is going on. So this decision to change the pronouns and allow John to be Joan is going to be done by the school without any reference, without any consultation with the parents, and more importantly, without any notification to the parents. On top of that, in an effort to conceal this from the parents, the policy says when you have student-teacher meetings or things like that, they still do that, right? When, when the parents come in, what you are supposed to do, teachers, is you are supposed to essentially hide the fact that at school, John has become Joan. And, you know, when you're going through all the stuff, the John who has become Joan and the he who has become a she, when you are dealing with the parents 
who don't know about any of this and haven't been consulted with any of this, you are supposed to essentially lie to the parents and refer to the kid as John and use the pronoun he. You are instructed to not disclose, again, the fact that at school at least, this gender transformation has, of course, occurred. <clears throat> Here's the way, and the school makes no bones about it. They, they defend this. Here's what they say. While we all agree that collaboration between families, students, and the school community is most beneficial, there are situations in which students do not wish to discuss issues with their families. If a child were to share their gender preference or sexual orientation with a staff member and the staff member informed the parent without the child's consent, this potentially violates the privacy right of the student. Okay, so in other words, in Eau Claire, they have decided that the privacy right of an eight-year-old outweighs the rights of that child's parents to know what the you-know-what is going on in schools. Well, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty has filed a lawsuit having seeking to have this policy overturned. Our number, 855-616-1620. And again, we're, we're operating with a little bit of a disadvantage because for the last several days, we've only had two phone lines that are open as opposed to the large number that I normally have. So be patient if you call in and you get a busy signal. But 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, th- this is not this is not about gender transformation. This is not about, you know, John who wants to be Joan with the blessing of the parents. This is about a school system that has set up a system that it is going to intentionally deceive the parents. And that is fundamentally wrong. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I understand kids go through the, these transformational sort of stuff. And if, if mom and dad, who are ultimately responsible for raising the children, if they decide, hey, you know, I, I understand we've got these gender issues here, and we're all in favor of this transition, and John becomes Joan or whatever, and you do this collectively, that that's one thing. I'm not saying the school shouldn't do it, but to do it behind the back of the parents who are ultimately responsible for the children and then to have a policy that effectively says you affirmatively lie to the parents every school board member every administrator that is responsible for this to me should be out of a job 855-616-1620 we discuss how infuriating when in eau claire they decided the privacy rights of an eight-year-old trump the rights of the parents to understand and be advised of serious things going on in the in the life of the student. If you're just tuning in, Eau Claire has just been sued. They've got this policy that says they're, they're required to meet with all these students to work out a gender identity plan. And if a kid says, hey, I'm really a boy trapped in a girl's body or vice versa, and I want to be referred to under a different name, and I want to be able to use the opposite sex bathroom and things like that, the school will accommodate them, and they will specifically not advise the parents and lie to the parents by lying by a lie by omission. So in other words, if you come in for the student teacher conference, and you are referring, you the teacher are referring to to John as Joan, well, you, you're not going to tell the parents that. You'll refer to him as John so the parents don't know what you are doing at school. Th- this this is what passes for public education. Again, this isn't against, you know, kids make 
doing transformations or transitions or whatever. This is doing it behind the back of the students. And my guess is there might be a lot of parents of nine or 10 year olds out there who are saying, you're doing what? Without telling me you're making the decision, we don't allow our eight or nine or 10 year old to decide, you know, they don't get to decide what they're going to have for dinner. They don't get to decide what television shows they're going to watch. And you're going to let them decide that they want to be referred to by different pronouns and use different names. Are you crazy, Eau Claire School District? And the answer is yes, 855-616-1620. It is unbelievable that the school would think they have the authority to essentially override parents and make or support decisions like this regarding a child. This is not their job. Teach the kid and leave the decisions regarding gender identity to the parents. Um, yes, I mean, a- absolutely, that's, that's the thing. You know, um, where you end up making these various decisions. Jeff, this is outrageous. It circumvents, um, it circumvents parental authority. Of course it circumvents parental authority. Jeff, it's appalling. What about parents' rights? Well, apparently you have little or no rights at all. Like I say, you, you as the parent, we, we don't allow eight or nine year olds to make decisions Many decisions, if any decisions, about, you know, what they're going to do um, as far as like at homework or when you have to do homework or things like that. But the school is now going to allow them that they get to change their gender. Jeff, no one in the school system has the right to change the name of my child other than myself. I gave the child that name, and that's the name they'll carry until they reach the age for which they can change it on their own legally. Well, again, this is it may very well be. Because, I, look, I, I do understand you have that relatively small percentage of students who um, are it's the boy trapped in the girl's body or whatever. But that's a matter that you you decide with the parents, perhaps with the doctors, with psychiatrists, what, whatever, with the mental health professionals. It is not a decision that you launch into based on the whims of an eight or nine or 10 year old. Jeff, I would love to call in, but I can't talk about this while I'm working. So here I go. I know for a fact, um, this month in the Oconomowoc School District, this is going on. I have a friend whose daughter wants to be referred to as something else. Mom got wind of it, went in and raised, you know what? Um, yes, that, that's, that's the case. Um, Jeff, parents might not like this, but child psychiatrists, including one of my daughters, support this, feeling that gender identification occurs in preschool age kids and that their self-selection should be private and protected, much like other health issues. I think it's nuts, but it seems to be the new norm. Of course it's the new norm. That, that's that's where we are right now. We want everybody to be touchy-feely. It is why we are raising a generation of screwed-up kids. Because, again, I, I appreciate that there's going to be some who have the conflicted gender identity. But I'm sorry, at the age of five or six or seven, a five or six or seven-year-old doesn't have the maturity to make that decision for themselves. Again, if this is the parent's who sit down with the psychologists and they decide, okay, this is what we have going on and, and we're going to make this change, fine. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm saying you cannot or should not be able to do it without the knowledge of the parents. And for the school to take it upon themselves to effectively lie to the parents, and that's what this is, no. Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Sure. Well, let me preface this by saying I have a, an eight-year-old and an almost 10-year-old son myself, so this really hits home for me. Um, 
I have gone through many scenarios in my life uh, where, as a parent, uh, I may want to know some things, but that may not be what's best for my child. And in this case, it doesn't so mo- sound so much like the school is is choosing to uh, to make this decision for the child. It's just that they're they're not blocking the child from telling the parent on their own. Uh, but there are many cases where a child may not feel comfortable telling their parent or discussing these things with their parent. And uh, the the crew of the matter to me is there are plenty of parents that are fully capable and understanding and loving and would do nothing but support and love their child, no matter what their child feels like or wants to, to be as they grow up. But there are the minority of parents that are anything but supportive, understanding, and loving as soon as they find out something that is life-changing like this about their child. So, Mark, who gets... Mark, Mark, you, Mark I'm sorry, Mark, this is nuts. And, and you, so you're saying that a 7-year-old child should be able to go in without the knowledge of the parents and say, I, I'm, I don't want to be a boy anymore. I want to be referred to as a girl. I am making this decision, and... I don't want you to tell me I can't do it. I don't want my parents to know about it. You want the seven-year-old to be able to make that decision. I think that we can maybe discuss the age at which that's allowed to happen a little bit. But the the point that I'm trying to make here is that there are people that have been sent to gay conversion camps and other torturous treatments due to the decisions made by a parent. That so so your so your response to that your response to that is because okay we've got gay conversion camps out there. Your response to that is to say that we are going to have a school system lie to parents. And we are going to make seven, eight, nine, ten year olds. We are going to allow them pre puberty to make really significant decisions on their own. I'm sorry. A seven or an eight or a nine year old doesn't have the emotional maturity. They haven't been through puberty. They don't know. Now, there might be, again, some, some kid that at, at the age of six or seven or eight knows that they're a boy trapped in a girl's body. And, and if that's the situation, and that's a rare situation, but if it is that rare situation, then I think that's something that's appropriate for the parents in consultation with the psychologists or whatever to sit down and you work through it. But this idea that you're going to let seven or eight-year-olds or ten-year-olds who we don't allow make decisions about what they're going to have to eat for dinner decide that I am now a boy instead of a girl, and then the school says, oh, that that's great, so when we go on the overnight sleepovers, here, we're going to lodge you with the boys. I'm sorry, anybody who thinks this is normal, anybody who thinks this is appropriate is, with all due respect, in my opinion, absolutely nuts. And for the school system to adopt a policy saying the privacy rights of a seven or eight or nine year old trump the rights of the parents to know what's going on in the public schools. Well, who's paying the who's paying the freight for the kid to go to the public schools? I mean, is this the system now where the school is going to take the responsibility to raise that child? And if it turns out that by at an early age allowing Johnny to become Joni because he's wanted to do that on a whim, if that ends up screwing up the kid, who's going to be there to pick up the pieces? Not the school. It's going to be mom and dad. I just, I, I, there's a lawsuit here. I'll keep you posted on this. But again, this is the overreach of the public schools who again decide that parents don't have a right to know.
Yeah, I, I understand. It's almost unbelievable that you have school districts that would behave in this sort of fashion. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I just sent out a link to the story in the lawsuit. I swear you can't make this up. The Eau Claire School District will allow school-aged children to decide their gender identity and then conceal this from parents. Wow. Just just wow. And, and of course, they, they that, that's it. You've got school administrators and bureaucrats and apparently teachers that think this is normal. They think this is the role of the schools. And we're getting swamped with text. And I would say it's probably about 95 percent of the people understand that this is just an abhorrent sort of policy that denies parents to uh, significant things that they should know with raising their kids. And then there's a couple people out there that says, oh, this is this is just the greatest thing in the world. Why should parents know if their eight-year-old wants to change their gender like the eight-year-old is able to make that decision. Wisconsin leaves are starting to fall, and you know what that means. It's time to get your home prepped for winter, and it's time for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. This week, we are featuring Bruce's team. Their senior real estate specialists visit their website at brucesteam.com. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's radio station, 620. WTMJ. All right. Go to jail. Go directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. On any given day, I could devote at least an hour of this program to talking about the reckless driving around here, where if you cross the street, you take your life into your own hands. If you are on the street, you take driving a car, you take your life into your, into your own hands because there are just so many reckless, irresponsible drivers. Now, here, here's the story I want to start with to lead into this, and then I'll get to the other one. Um, 72nd and Capitol Drive. Yesterday afternoon, a driver, 3.45 p.m., so 72nd and, and Capitol. Driver and Capitol Drive is one of the very, very worst streets in Milwaukee. You drive Capitol Drive, I, I'm just telling you, you. My, my advice is avoid it, avoid it like the plague, because it is just incredibly dangerous. 3.45 p.m., driver blew through a stop sign, 72nd and Capitol, causing a crash that left another driver injured after her vehicle rolled. Police say the vehicle driven by the person who blew the stop sign hit another vehicle, injuring the 49-year-old woman. And then there's pictures, if you look at this, about how the woman who was hit, you know, her car is upside down, taken to the hospital, treated. But this is just, and I don't know what happened to the person who blew the stop sign. The story doesn't say whether they stayed on the scene or whether they ran away, as often happens. doesn't say whether the car that they were driving was stolen or unregistered or no insurance, although my guess is... It's probably about a 50-50 chance, if not more, that those are all the cases. Then you just heard the story that Mike was talking about. You know, this morning on Tetonia and Appleton, you have somebody that blows through a stop sign, hits and kills a pedestrian. They're dead. And then you have this story. Um, yesterday afternoon, where, of course, you, you have... You have the story that I was just talking about on, on Appleton and Capitol, 72nd Street. But you have this. Milwaukee police are looking for a driver who blew a red light and caused a crash that injured four people, two of them elderly. This happened around 3.30 p.m. Police say it was a chain reaction class uh, crash after a driver 
blew a red light. One vehicle hit a second vehicle, which hit a third vehicle. The driver of the second vehicle, a man 77, was extricated and seriously hurt. His passenger, a man 89, was also taken to the hospital with injuries. A man and a woman, 30 and 31, were in a third vehicle. They were also taken to the hospital for treatment of their injuries. So you have, again, a, a situation where guy blows through, or driver, don't know if it's a male or a female, blows through a red light and and then because what happens is people are, are stopping. It's one of those chain collisions. Somebody slams on the brakes to avoid uh, getting hit. And then somebody rear ends them and somebody rear ends them. And, you know, four people end up injured. The driver, the reckless driver that started this whole thing, of course, you know, takes off. You know, takes off, and now the police are looking for the person who caused the crash and then ran off. This is, of course, the the typical situation. And again, when and if they find this person, what what do you want to guess that these are going to be the factors? No driver's license, probably uh, no driver's license, forget insurance, you know, no insurance, Probably the car is stolen. Don't know for sure, but I think there's probably a good chance of that. Not registered. You name it. All of this, and probably not the first time at the rodeo for this. And you have four people who are injured, including two who are seriously injured and are in the hospital. And this is, again, it's 3.30 in the afternoon on Appleton and Capitol. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think... One of the many, 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 many problems we have that has led to this reckless driving and this irresponsible behavior is, of course, the fact that there are little or no consequences for, for doing this. I believe that the only way to deal with this is to say we are tired of fooling around with this sort of reckless driving. Anybody who knowingly and intentionally leaves the scene of a collision that they have caused, I think needs to go to jail for at least two years. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you flee from the police, they catch you, boom. Doesn't matter what else you've done. You flee from the police, you go to jail for two or three years when you are convicted. You cause an accident, and knowingly and intentionally, and I understand it's possible you can construct a situation where somebody you know, doesn't know that they were involved in this, but that's not the case in 99.9%. If you knowingly and intentionally flee the scene of a collision that you have caused, I believe there should be mandatory jail time. If you lead police on a high-speed chase, that in and of itself should be mandatory jail time. And I understand that means we're going to be locking up a lot of people at least short term. But not locking people up for doing this leads to three, four, five, six, seven stories a day around here of people who drive recklessly, cause all sorts of havoc, and then drive off. 855-616-1620. Go to jail. Go directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. And do not get some soft-on-crime judge or district attorney to let you out. John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. To me, it's a no-brainer, all right? Okay, if Capitol Drive is the worst street that there is, how come it's that crowded with police officers? I don't understand that. How come, how come, where are the police? I'm driving Uber and Lyft, and I don't see a cop. And I'm on Capitol Drive all day. 
Yeah, I um no th- th- thanks for calling. Right, right. I, first of all, I would flood the area with police. Oh, okay, but but part of the problem, John, is that even if they catch the people, even if they catch that the 16-year-old kid driving the stolen car who's caused the accident and fled from the police, nothing happens to them as a general rule. And that's the problem the police have. And they'll tell you that's their frustration. We chase these people, we catch them, and then they're back out on the streets two days later driving another stolen car. And I I don't want to kind of mix up the different crimes because I don't care whether it's a stolen car or not. You cause a collision and you flee the scene. I think that in and of itself should require you to go to prison. And, and yes, I, I understand that might be harsh, but what we're doing now doesn't work. And to your point, John, I'm all in favor of, of more cops on the street and, and flooding it. But, you know, unless we have consequences, because like I say right now, even if they catch them, you've got a catch and release court system, which just puts them back out on the street. It's not accomplishing anything. And yeah. Maybe we're going to have to lock up several hundred more people. Maybe we're going to have to lock up a couple thousand. But how many people have to die before the message gets out? Back with more in just a minute. 855-616-1620. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Just go directly to jail. What's so hard about that? 855-616-1620. One of our texters says, good luck on this one, Jeff. Tony Evers wants less people in jail. We could use another prison just for reckless drivers, but it's not going to happen. Yes, this is our governor who wants to reduce the prison population by 50%. How is the turn them loose strategy working? And somebody else texts, well, you you know it's already a crime to flee the scene. Yeah, I know it's a crime to flee the scene. The problem is there's no consequences for doing that. I am saying mandatory minimum penalties. You knowingly, intentionally flee the scene of an accident. You lead the police on a chase. Two, three years, you go to prison. You do not pass go, and, and maybe just maybe that will stop this or if it doesn't stop it at least it'll protect some of us for a little while because you're going to get those people who are driving in that reckless fashion you're going to get them off the street now i understand that there's workarounds you have a district attorney's office like john chisholm's for example who says well i i don't want to put reckless drivers in prison so i i won't issue the charges even though that's what they did i I, i'll use my discretion and not charge well okay that that's that's a problem um, but it's a problem that's solved by removing the district attorney. And I think Chisholm's in his last days anyhow. I just don't see how if he runs again, he gets reelected after it's now his disastrous policies are now coming to light. But, you know, who knows what goes on in, in Milwaukee County. But the bottom line of all this is right now, when you drive a car around here, you put your life at risk because of all the stolen cars and all the reckless driving and all the irresponsible drivers. And those of us who pay our automobile insurance and renew our license plates and keep our licenses up. We're just the chumps who are out there waiting to be victimized by this subset, this criminal class that's out there that is never, ever, ever or rarely held accountable. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm sick of this. Let's talk to Marshall on the east side. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, Jeff. Hi. Uh, Can you hear me? I can. What do you think? I'm good. Uh, well, there's, there's one question I want to ask you before I say anything, and that is, um, didn't did the Common Council, Milwaukee Common Council, um, didn't they tell the police at the time, it's been a while back, that uh, don't stop people if they don't have 
license plates or uh, they don't use their turn signals or whatever for minor infractions because you're oppressing people or whatever. Um, so that's one question I have. But this, um, you talk about, well, you, you know, you don't want to just for minor things or they run, you don't want to put them in jail. However, you're really imprisoning the people that they're affecting. Yes. yes. And people keep forgetting that. Yes, Mar- Marshall, thanks. You're exactly right. That's that's kind of like, see, that that's the, the attitude that's out there. Our, our soft on crime, let's ignore these type of approaches. It's, when you were using your example, I, I was thinking of like drug houses. You, you allow criminal activity to flourish on a particular street. What you've done is you've imprisoned all the people that live on that particular block, for example, because they're afraid to go out. They live in fear that there's going to be a drive-by shooting one day as somebody comes down and tries to shoot up the drug house but ends up shooting up the wrong house. Right, you are imprisoning the law-abiding citizens. Now, I, I don't remember if the common – it wouldn't be the common council. I don't remember if the Fire and Police Commission ever gave instructions to the police not to pull people over for small offenses. That's, that's of course, the whole broken windows theory of enforcement, which I firmly believe in that you stop the small stuff before it ends up becoming bigger stuff but that milwaukee did have a policy for years cooked up under tom barrett and former police chief ed flynn where in most situations not all but in most situations they didn't chase and all we know is that led to just the word getting out that everybody runs from the cops that attitude still prevails but it's kind of like when they had that documentary the other day a couple weeks ago about the, the kia boys the the people that are stealing three and four cars a day and they said or aren't you afraid of anything there we're not afraid of anything even if we get caught even if we get caught and that's a big if we know that nothing's going to happen to us you know maybe you go if you're a juvenile maybe you go to juvie for two or three days then you're back out on the street stealing more cars that's the situation that we have created and it's leading to carnage on the streets if if you get if you do what i do for a living where i, I sit down the evening before the show, and then get up early, like this morning, and you go and you look at all the different cases that are out there. I, I could I could talk about this on a daily basis, because these are the stories that are in the news. And I, I also understand, we're not hearing all the stories. I mean, we're the, the story I'm talking about, about the four people, you know, the guy that blows through the stoplight, runs away, this happens on a daily basis. It's only in the news because it caused a massive colli- series of collisions, and you've got two people, one in their 70s, one in their late 80s who are in the hospital seriously injured you've got other people that are hurt as well for all the times that it's the near misses we've blown through the red light at 90 miles an hour and we haven't hit somebody and or the police have chased and they, they've caught them or the person has, has escaped we don't hear that this is happening time after time after time and it just doesn't even make the news well what we're doing isn't working and look, I applaud the ideas of, okay, let's, let's kind of narrow the streets and things like that. But that's not the fundamental problem. The fundamental problem is you have a lot of irresponsible criminals out there who are not held accountable. And the first step is, getting them off the streets and the judges heck you got judges that won't even lock up people after they're convicted of sexual assault of a child and you let them out on the street to go kill somebody you think they're going to lock them up for putting four people in the hospital by blowing through a red light and reckless driving no the only way around it is for the legislature to take that away discretion away from the judges who have demonstrated that they 
don't use that discretion appropriately and say, fine, this is the penalty for this crime. You're convicted of it. You go to jail for, again, two, three years, whatever that number ends up being. But we got to wake up and do this. And some people would say you can't incarcerate your way out of a problem. Well, here's my answer. One of the things we've learned is that you can't not incarcerate your way out of a problem. A lot more stuff coming up. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Brewer baseball coming up at the bottom of the hour. One of the last uh, day games of the season. Tough loss for the Brewers yesterday. It's been a... I think a disappointing season, I think that would be fair to say. But, you know, amazingly, given how mediocre the team has played, they're, they're still they're, they're three games out of the wild card spaces. That That's the bottom line. Either Atlanta or New York is going to be one of the wild cards, and then they're three games behind Philadelphia that's been playing even worse than the Brewers, and San Diego, which has been underperforming. So, it's it's possible, I guess, if they could do something they really haven't done all year, which is string together a bunch of wins. But it starts today. And then, of course, tomorrow, the Brewers are back at home. The vast majority of their remaining games are at home. So I guess if you're looking for a silver lining, that that's it. And uh, tomorrow it starts with a doubleheader, which almost never happens. And we'll have coverage here on WTMJ. Okay, school is back in session, which brings about an, an issue that – school administrators run into, and it's an issue that I I think employers run into as well. It's what do you do with kids? What do you do with people and their cell phones? I hope she doesn't mind me telling a tale out of school, but my my wife, before she retired, uh, ran a couple very, very successful restaurants in southeastern Wisconsin, and she had a very, very firm rule, and that rule was employees while they were working, were not to be on their cell phones to the point where she would require the the employees to, you know, when they, they clocked in, they'd be required to, like, leave their, their cell phones in a particular area because she felt it, um, well, I mean, there's a couple of things going on. First of all, cell phones are, are a distraction. Secondly, you walk into a restaurant and you're wondering where your waitress is and then you see her or him or waiter over in a corner looking at a cell phone. It just creates the wrong image. So that that's so she required people to, to put put up their cell phones. And if you're on your break or something, you can get them and you can use it. But when you're working, you're, you're supposed to be working. You're not supposed to be looking at your cell phones because we all know just what a draw those, those things are. Well, school is the same way. The average kid, and actually today's TMJ4 had a very, very interesting story about this. The average kid, average, 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 what was the number they had here? Spends, they estimate about seven hours a day looking at their cell phone. Seven hours a day. It's a staggering amount of time. And and we understand everybody, the cell phones are ubiquitous. Everybody is looking at them. So the question is, what do you do in schools where you're supposed to be in the classroom and you're supposed to be paying attention to the teacher or doing whatever you're doing? And we understand people are looking at their cell phones. And let us be honest. I understand the cell phones have a role in case there is an emergency. But emergencies don't crop up every day. Matter of fact, emergencies might not crop up for, for several years. Uh, maybe they will never crop up. Most of the time, people are looking at their cell phones. They're they're playing around. They're looking at videos. They're texting their friends. They're doing all these things. So a number of schools have adopted a no-cell-phone 
policy. For example, at Germantown High School, the rule is you are not allowed to have cell phones with you during the school day, at least in class. Cell phones, when you get to school, have to be put in the locker. And I don't know if they allow you to check it at lunch hour or whatever, but they stay in the locker. You cannot have cell phones with you, and if you have cell phones with you, you're subject to disciplinary procedures, including a municipal fine. Well, in the story on today's TMJ4 last night, it was interesting. They were quoting uh, a senior at the school who was kind of whining about this. Said she's, she says she's not allowed to look at her phone at school, and she thinks that's a problem in case of an emergency. We have things and emergencies to take care of out of school, and if our phones are locked up, how are we going to be able to get a hold of that emergency if we can't contact with our people outside of school? So this one senior is whining about, well, it, it, it could be an emergency. And then we play the mass shooting card. Well, mass shootings have been happening a lot more often. I wouldn't say necessarily in our city, but who knows? I think it's very important for them to be able to communicate with officers or even the parents, cousins, other kids in the school to let them know to get to safety or that they are safe. So in other words, on the off chance that there might be a school shooting, that's why we have to allow kids to have cell phones in the classroom on a regular basis, to which I would channel... Oh, he wasn't the first person to say it probably, but uh, the late President Lyndon Johnson, who was fond of using the phrase, don't pee down my back and tell me it's raining. Let us be honest here. The kids don't want the cell phones because there might be an emergency. The kids want the cell phones because they can't do without them. They want to play on the Internet. They want to text their friends. They want to make arrangements for what's going to happen on Friday. Our number is 855-616-1620. I think there is no reason cell phones should be in the classroom. I think it is perfectly reasonable to say as a policy, all right, if you bring a cell phone to school, you got to put it in your locker at the start of school. You can check it out at the end of the day. But while you are in school, no access to cell phones. And if there is an emergency that, that occurs, somebody has died in the family, well, then mom or dad can do what used to happen before cell phones. Mom or dad can call the school office and the school can make arrangements to hook up with you. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is more than reasonable. I do not believe children need to have the cell phones in classrooms. And if they bring them to school, I think requiring them to be in the lockers is more than appropriate. What do you think? It's interesting. The principal at Germantown High School says, hey, we get new teachers that come here. I tell them this is their policy. Kids aren't allowed to have access to cell phones during the day. If they bring them to school, they got to put them in their locker. They stay there until the end of the day. And the teachers who come from other districts say, don't ever change this policy. Jeff, how did we ever manage emergencies and planning events with friends before cell phones? I'm thinking those options are still available yeah, um, you know, absolutely. They're, of course, they're still available. And, and this idea that, well, there might be an emergency. Well, okay, then if there's an emergency, you go to the office and the, the office makes the arrangements to call whoever needs to be called. If there's an emergency on the outside, 
Well, mom or dad can call the school office and the office can, you know, they know where you are. They can get you. You don't need your cell phone. And let's be honest, the emergency thing, it's just, it's BS. That That's the justification. The real reason the people want their cell phones is they want to check the internet and they want to check their voicemail and they want to check their email and they want to be able to text with their friends and they want to look at the latest TikTok thing that's going on. That That's why they want the cell phones and it's not emergencies. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. As a former teacher, I am 100% behind this rule because in addition to being just really disruptive and distracting, uh, cell phones uh, also are used to cheat with their uh-huh. cameras and texting functions. And uh, when students are asked to give up their cell phones because they're abusing, the, abusing them, they have gotten really belligerent and problematic with the teachers. And about the whole emergency thing, I don't buy that either, because if there's some sort of an emergency situation ensuing in the schools, what the students really should be doing is sitting quietly and waiting for directions from their teacher or from their administrator on their PA system and not be on their cell phones. Yeah, exactly. No, thanks for calling. And again, in that in in thank look i understand we have school shootings but those still thankfully are, are the unicorn sort of things and in that off chance that something's going to happen well the school district you would expect the school to have the appropriate protocol of how they're going to notify the parents or things like that you, you don't need the kids to have cell phones for that hopefully one in 10 million sort of situation jeff the cell phone is the modern version of talking writing notes doodling and daydreaming in class it's much easier to control now cell phones stay in locker period. Um, Jeff, my Catholic grade school didn't even have a landline phone. Um, Yes. Um, Jeff, I'm the mother of two high schoolers, and I really think cell phones shouldn't be allowed at lunch either. So these young people have to learn how to actually converse with people at their table. These kids seem to be constantly texting or Snapchatting with whoever is in front of them, and it's a weird social phenomena. And by the way, I mean, I, I fully appreciate this isn't just kids. I, I mean, this is, you, you go anywhere, and where was I the other day? Where was I the other day? I was I was in the waiting room somewhere, and um, I, I'm just, I'm looking around, and, and everybody is on their cell phone. Nobody's reading newspapers anymore. Those are a dying animal. You know, nobody's reading magazines. Everybody's on, on their cell phones. These are the things. And again, look at a workplace. Like I say, that's how this kind of started. My wife was always, hey, look, if you're working, you're supposed to be working. And um, it's just cell phones are incredibly distracting. I'm not anti-cell phone. I carry a cell phone. I love my cell phone. But at the same time, you, you, if you're supposed to be in school, if you're supposed to be like on the job, you don't necessarily, you don't need to have that there. Jeff, I think this is question's an easy one. I, I agree. And for those, that situation where, oh, this could be a problem and it could be an emergency, there are workarounds for that. That there are workarounds for that, but having the cell phones every day in the classrooms, it's just unnecessary. It's a distraction. Kids can't read and write as it is. What? Why do they need other distractions? Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. All right, Brewers baseball coming up in just a couple minutes. I think our pregame coverage starts in about 10 minutes. And then the final game of this road trip, and like I say, most of their remaining games are at home, so maybe they can use that as a way to turn stuff around. This afternoon, big news, I guess maybe in the technology department, Apple 
is announcing the rollout of their new iPhone 14. Now, I, I take special interest in this because I, I was one of those dinosaurs for years and years and years and years and years and years. I resisted the, the urge to upgrade my, my iPhone, and I, I had an iPhone 5S. And my, my wife just kept saying, you know, you, you just you need to get a new one. And for a variety of reasons, I was resisting. And then finally, uh, it was sometime this winter that I ended up breaking down. I went and I got the new iPhone 13. And I admit that it, it was kind of life, life-changing in the fact that, hey, it, it can do all these other things and it's a lot faster. And I, I, I the, the battery doesn't ro- go down as fast and you get the upgrades and stuff. So for me, I was very, very happy that, that I made that change. But of course, I, I had a phone that when I, I brought it in, they kind of looked at it and they looked at me like, huh, does this belong in a museum or something like that? But but I was happy. I mean, I got seven, eight years, whatever I got out of out, out of use out of it. Having purchased the iPhone 13 a few months ago, and I'm very very happy with it. I have, I really have no interest in the iPhone 14. I, I just I just don't. I'm not sure that it's going to be able to do anything that my iPhone 13 isn't going to. But I do concede that there is a certain point where it just makes sense because of the changes in technology to, to make that upgrade. Now, what I don't really understand is some of the people that need to have the latest version. So if you've got the iPhone 13 and you're happy with it and you've had it for less than a year, well, now the 14 is out and you need that. I'm not sure there's going to be anything in that iPhone 14 that's materially different enough to make it worth spending whatever it costs to do that. But for those of you who are, the, the early adopters who have to have the, the latest in technology, well, you know, today's your day because Apple is going to roll out the iPhone 14s, and you can decide whether whatever that whatever new features they have, which is really maybe a slightly better camera, even though it's, it's a pretty good camera, and maybe it, it's increased access to the 5G. You're going to have to decide if it's worth it. My guess is, for most of us, not going to be the case. Interesting. Hurricane Earl. Now, for everybody that talks about climate change and global warming and all these scientists who claim to know what's going to happen to the planet 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, I I always ask the question, why do we believe them when they, they don't know what's going to happen a week from now or a few months from now? At the beginning of this season, we were told that this was going to be one of the worst tropical storm seasons in the Atlantic on record. You were going to, they predicted there's going to be like 20 or 30 hurricanes and it's going to be devastating. Well, okay, we're not through the season yet. You've got another like two months that are left. But at least major way way through the season, there's only been two hurricanes so far that have been named. So in other words, they they got it all wrong. Now that doesn't, I mean, I'm not wishing for hurricanes, and I'm glad it's been a mild season so far. My only point is for everybody who claims to know what the climate's going to be and what the world is going to look like five years from now, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, the truth is even the experts don't know what's going to happen a couple weeks from now. So maybe you need to take some of this with a grain of salt. That's it for me. I'm back 12 noon tomorrow when we do it all again. 